Hey everybody, welcome to Void of Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason Brazier, and today's guest, uh, we go back a little bit. We worked on a show called The Mystery Hour and uh, in Springfield, Missouri, and he's out in Los Angeles now and is on the comedy scene and um, having some success in that, from what I understand. So I'd like to welcome Chance Nichols to... Hey, everybody. Oh. How's it going? So, Chance, how you been, man? I've been fine. I have... Uh, the government is coming after me uh, a little bit. It's... Uh, my student loans are about to restart, and I've been fighting tooth and nail to try to keep them at bay. It's been a real shit show. Um, <laughs> I've tried faking my own death. I've tried taking all of the loans and putting it on my deadbeat father, who I haven't spoken to in several years. And it's like, no, he took the loans out. Uh, ruin him. Uh, I also I received a lovely email from, or no, a letter in the mail from the uh, California like tax board. Um, and as, as you said, somebody, uh, you said uh, he's having a little bit of success in the comedy world. That comes with uh, having a lot of independent contractor payouts. And um, <laughs> I got a lovely letter in the mail saying, hey, we uh, we changed your tax returns from last year because there was a mistake. And now you owe us an exuberant amount of money that you didn't realize you owed us. So they want my money and I don't want them to have it. But they're gonna because I, I play by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You also have a podcast. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I've got a podcast. It's called We Didn't Peak. It's on uh, everywhere you get your podcasts, primarily Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, the episodes are fewer and farther between these days just because I've a lot of uh, my stuff I do primarily on YouTube now. I've, I've, I've got a YouTube channel that I've been working very hard on the last year. Uh, it's called Chances Loud. Uh, if you want to throw the uh, sub my way, uh, we're about to hit 5,000 subscribers on that. And I'm very excited for that. It's a lot of sketches, funny stuff uh, coming your way. So I've been focusing a little bit more on the YouTube. I have uh, a strategy and a plan to keep the podcast, uh, to start pumping out more weekly episodes of the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. The first episode ever of the show, like two years ago, as uh, I interviewed our, our mutual pal Jeff from Mystery Hour, Jeff Houghton, and uh, it's a great listen. All right. Well, make sure you guys check that out. And so well, who besides besides Jeff, did you have have you had any other very exciting guests on your podcast? Yeah, I've had a few cool people. I had uh, my pal Joel, uh, aka Rumi. Uh, he's a YouTuber. He's got about a, a little over seven million subscribers. He's a very famous like music YouTuber. I, I was a writer for his channel for a, 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 I was like consistently for a year and now on again, off again a little bit still like a kind of like a, on a creative retainer for uh, that channel. And he's just my friend. And so that was a good interview. And then my pal Caleb, uh, Caleb Heron. He is a comedian and a writer out here that I went to college with and moved to Chicago with and then moved out here with. Uh, we've just been following each other uh, for most of our adult lives, and he's done a lot of cool stuff. He was a writer for Human Resources on Netflix, and um, he was in Jurassic World Dominion, the latest Jurassic World movie. Oh, okay. And yeah, he's he's done a ton of cool stuff, and those are some fun interviews. Right on, right on. So what uh, what's the what is the biggest venue you've done so far of your comedy so far? So in terms of pure size i would say well size and like like asses and seats it would be the galois because i don't know if you remember a few years ago i came back and i did i taped a set for mystery hour um and there were that was you know the galois it seats about 500 ish or a thousand i don't even remember how many people um so that was fun but in terms of like the actual like prestige of the venue i uh, i've done a single set at the comedy store out here oh, in nice. la and that's a very cool thing and it's one of those places where it's like gi joe you don't ask to join you get asked um so i i like to uh 
uh, you know, I, 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 I like to say that I've, I've got one under my belt and it'll probably be a long time before I get to number two, just because the line to get into that place is very long. Uh, but it's, it's cool. Uh, it's a cool venue. And then, you know, honestly, I, I lived in Chicago for several years right after college. I, I mentioned with Caleb and something valuable that I learned during that time is because in Chicago, you know, it's mostly a sketch and improv town. There's not a ton of stand up, and I do all three and I was doing way more sketch and improv in Chicago than stand up. And you've got your like Titans of like that world all in Chicago, like your IOs, the annoyance, second city who I still do work for. Um, but it's something about having all of those giant institutions uh, mm -hmm. in a city that you're sort of looking up to you learn pretty quickly not to idolize a building and to focus on yourself and making yourself as good as you can possibly be because the building can't do that for you. And that's something, that's a big myth that a lot of people that are wanting to get into comedy or a lot of other things yeah. trick themselves into thinking is that, oh, if I just get into that building, then I'm set. And it's in reality, the stuff that got you to the point where you're allowed in that building is what made you who you are. And so that's a, just a little bit of wisdom. Yeah, very good. That's very, very, very wise. Um, who are some of your favorite uh, comedians that inspire you or that have inspired you? Boy, um, I really love Bill Burr. Mm -hmm. uh bill burr's uh i've gotten to do a few shows with him uh out here and he's 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 the consummate like professional and also you can tell he's just the most comfortable when he's around other comedians in a green room uh because he's a guy that's gotten to go off and do movies and tv shows and make his own stuff and all that stuff but he's like at his most comfortable mm -hmm. when he's at his sort of his home base uh love bill burr um Geez, a lot of the older guys I really like, um, like uh, Robin Williams, his oh, stand up yeah. career was really influential to me. Um, I don't know if you know Sam Kinison. Oh, uh, yeah. Sam, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Kinison is a big, uh, he became a big influence of mine, but here's the thing so my style is it's a lot of screaming and yelling and running around and being kind of uh, like a psycho. And I thought that was just a Friday night for you. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's right. Um, and uh, the thing about it was, is I just started doing that naturally because that's how what I think is funny. Like, that's what I that I'm very I can be very I, I like to be very high energy on stage and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until a few years ago, someone and I'd been doing this for a long time. And somebody mentioned Sam Kin is like, oh, you reminded me of Sam Kinison. I was like, who's that? And I went back and I watched a bunch of his stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of a, like that's a version of what I'm doing. And so getting to watch some of his stuff is cool. Um, and then just contemporary people like Tim Dillon. I'm a big Tim Dillon fan, uh, big John Mulaney fan, yeah. um, Dave Chappelle, Cat Williams, people like that. You know, all the all the classics. Are there any, are there any uh, comedians out there? Because I know the big thing right now is I'm seeing a lot of comedians getting followings via TikTok of all things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, are there any comedians that are happening right now that you think are really great? Um, let me think. So as far as like from a TikTok, like the that that sort of wave of people getting attention, uh I like Matt Reif. Mm -hmm. Um Matt Reif and I we we don't like know each other, know each other. I'm really tight with his cameraman. Uh, we're buddies. Uh, shout out Kyle. Um, and Matt and I have done a handful of shows together out here. He's a very nice guy. He understands how lucky he is, but also a lot of people don't realize he's been doing it for like over 10 years. And yeah. now he's just now getting like some recognition through social media. Um, so yeah, I, I, I applaud him. I always tell people I'm his personal trainer. Um, so that gets a nice... <laughs> That gets a nice little pop out of people. Uh, I don't know why they think it's funny. It's true. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's easy to hate on people like that because he's sort of the new Dane Cook. Um, yeah, Dane Cook, uh, who I also like, I really, when I was younger, really loved. And uh, he was the first stand-up comic to really use social media in a way to sell tickets with MySpace. And all of the oh, old... MySpace. Wow, yeah. That's a... Yeah, he had like hundreds oh, of thousands of friends and he'd send out the links for his shows and stuff, the tickets, and he'd sell out. And 
a lot of people, a lot of the old people uh, hated that and were like, that's not the way you do it. And he was like, well, I don't really care to appease you guys here at this like really sad comics bar. I, I would rather go sell out an arena and live in my beautiful home. So I'm, I'm sorry you guys don't like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the TikTok stuff, although there is like, I it's undoubtedly starting to, it's oversaturated, I think. Yeah, where there's too, it's just too many clips that are not good mm-hmm. and uh, people that, you know, it's mostly crowd work stuff. And there's a lot of people I don't consider Matt a part of this because I think he is actually funny. But there's a lot of Matt clones, both male and female, that I describe them as it's like this person is a like a former Division two baseball player hot like that level of hot doing really low energy crowd work where the audience is doing most of the funny. It's just them going with a cool, like hot guy backwards hat going, what? And then the audience laughs and it's like, okay, well, I don't know if you can do that for an hour, um, but God love you if you can. (laughs) Right on, right on. Is there a um, particular location that you've uh, did a show at recently? Have you, I guess I should say, have you, had any uh, incidents where people have been upset with any of your jokes or anything in the crowd, you know, cause sometimes you see some people that uh, snap off on certain things. Yeah. yeah. See, that's interesting for me. It is. Um, I almost get, I, I, I like very rarely will ever get anybody heckling uh, or yelling out in the moment. Like if people don't like what I do, I almost never hear about it because um <laughs> the way I do things, it's just a little scary. And it's, it's like, I think people are a little afraid. (laughs) Yeah. To speak up because I'm like sweating. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm moving around. Like it's less a, like it it doesn't invite the, uh, the energy that I'm giving off isn't inviting a discourse. It's inviting a, it's more like watching a zoo animal where you're just wanting to sit there and watch like the gorilla wrestle with another gorilla. You don't want to like be a part of that. You just kind of want to watch it happen. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. That's fair. Um, Mm -hmm. What rewinding here a little bit too to back to mystery hour. So for people who don't know what the mystery hour is, I mean, it was a late night talk show in the mid, you know, Southwest Missouri. Um, won many awards, um, had many guests on. We had CM Punk, the wrestler. I was ecstatic about that. I remember when uh, Jeff text he Facebooked me. He was like, "So I was told I needed to tell you who our next guest is." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." And he says, "Is it CM Punk?" And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> He's like, is that really a big deal? I'm like, oh my, oh Jeff, you don't know who you're getting now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was really sad though. I think we had Mick Foley set up, but then COVID happened, and so we didn't. Yeah. But um, who's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers? And I hope to meet him still one day. But um, what was your favorite skit that you did on Mystery Hour? Do you have one that comes to mind? Oh boy. Yeah, there's a lot. I I was very lucky, I think, that Jeff was uh, super encouraging of my sense of humor, which was very different than a lot of the other writers, I feel like, just because I was like 20 years old and they were all in their mid to late 30s, I think, at that point and had a very like specific way of like doing things and what they like and whatnot and i was a little uh bit of a a little more anarchical and a little uh crazier and so one of my favorites that we ever did was there was uh sidewalk sledding which is where i had a sled a plastic like circle circular sled out and there was a camera uh on me out front of the galois and I was like trying to sled that like scoot the sled down the sidewalk. Um, and it was the middle of like first Friday art walk or something. So <laughs> there were a ton of people around. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, probably the one that went over the best, I would say, with the audience uh, was there was dur- it was during the Ozarks Jubilee show. And uh, when me and Sarah Jenkins uh, came out as like an old 
like an old timey Western couple and I had a big pickaxe and I was like a old prospector type guy. And we were, we did a lot of like topical humor, um, but at, through the guise of like old timey Western people. And that was a lot of fun. That was a good one. That was a fun episode too, though. Mm-hmm. But we, we shot that in black and white and yeah. did it in four by three and everything. Cause you know, so that was a fun one. Yeah, that was uh, a good one. What for you, what, makes a good joke what makes a good joke i think is something that elicits a response of any kind whether it's a laugh whether it's a shock whether it's uh anger uh or what i don't like in a joke here's what i don't like is people to go oh oh, oh, i see like it like somebody like trying to be too smart about it that's just not personally my thing um I think it it also in it, there's an element of understanding that in the modern lexicon joke doesn't that doesn't have to mean just like a setup punchline type thing a joke can be a story or a or a, we we call it like they're internally it's more like bits is what was like oh that's a good bit or that's a good joke it doesn't have to be like da 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 it it can be like a really funny story peppered with funny lines, um, <laughs> things like that. I I also think that it's um it's important to have confidence when you're saying the joke. That is a big part of it. A big part of especially stand up is in the performance of it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in what you're saying, like even if and this isn't like a Hassan Minaj I know he's getting in trouble right now because some of his stories were untrue uh and like embellished and whatnot but it's I don't necessarily mean because I don't think that you have to go out there and tell exactly what you feel about a certain topic well I've always been under the impression too that a lot of I mean I've always thought that people are always embellishing and you know yeah and you know so that kind of surprises me that people are getting mad at him for like embellishing i'm like that's what all people do you i mean even beyond comedians we embellish us a little bit just to make the story better or funnier yeah and you know some of the stuff he said was i just don't really find any issue with it um necessarily but it's just a thing of um being able to say what you like how do i phrase this set tell the joke tell the story in a way that you're just as excited as the audience should be listening to it i think sometimes people sometimes bits die because the person telling it is like well i don't know if this one's gonna work so they tell it as if it's not gonna work rather than really giving it as much effort as possible to make it work okay that's fair yeah um is that you, and you don't have to say the anybody the name or anything, but do you think that there's a, a any comedians out there that, that that has happened to recently or has happened quite a lot for them? Like they a lot of their stuff doesn't work because of the performance yeah. of it, yeah. or no. the or the delivery maybe maybe it's just delivery like they're really good but they had this one joke that just nothing yeah not really because the ones that you hear about like once you get if you get to a level where you're a famous comedian you've kind of mastered the art of not doing that so but if you go to your local open mic you'll see a hundred people doing that a hundred like just Mm -hmm. sad kind of like oh i don't really know if this is any good and i never i just never i'm just glad i never had that in me because so when i started doing stand-up in springfield Mm -hmm. when i was 18 uh, well, I did my first set when I was 16, um, but then I couldn't get into any open mics in Springfield because they're all at bars mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let me in as a minor. But then once I turned 18, it's like, OK, you can come in, but we got to write an M on your hand or whatever. And um, I started going to these open mics as a teenager, basically, and I would see some of the miserable piles of human sludge that would be sitting at these things and it's like (laughs) jesus man why are you what is this for what you're miserable now what is you're supposed to like this this is supposed to be fun (laughs) like it was a dark i've talked to a lot of people that come came out of springfield doing comedy and stuff and there was such a dark shadow over the entire Springfield comedy scene for years. And I don't know what it was. I don't know. It's, I think a big part of it was, it was very unfriendly to young people. 
for the most part because you had this like sort of unofficial high council of people that were in charge of making decisions as far as who was getting stage time, who was doing what, whatever, yada, yada. Um, And they were all, I describe them as like extremely miserable people on the wrong side of 40 that look down and see young people coming along and are like, no, 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 no. This is my little kingdom. And I fought hard for this little kingdom. And this bright eyed, bushy tailed little punk is going to come in and fuck it all up. I can't have that. (laughs) So they get extremely uh, awful and abusive to us. And uh, fighting through that made me very tough. It made me ready for a place like Chicago or a place like LA because I had been through a lot of bullshit uh, with people older than me already. Mm-hmm. And uh, thankfully, uh, Jeff Houghton was a shimmering knight that was not one of those people. In fact, he was the opposite. Mm-hmm. He encouraged young people to get involved in their local scene and gave really cool opportunities like like I said, I was 19 when I uh, when I actually got hired, and then I was a writer for the show for three years until I graduated college, and I had no business doing that. Like, if anybody other than Jeff Houghton had been running that show, it would have just been uh, whoever the host was and their five closest friends running it until nobody watched anymore, which probably would have been very soon because that's a terrible way to run things. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there – so this is a good – um transition um because you and i and i know i've already touched on cm punk and stuff but we're both wrestling fans and we both keep up with it and has there been anything recently with wrestling that has just you've been like that's amazing or what the hell is that what's going on yeah a little bit i uh, i'm very touch and go with my wrestling fandom uh these days mainly because I my problem is I just don't get I, I I don't get AEW. I mean I get it, but I don't watch it because to me I was never a fan of like the indie world and I feel like AEW is the indie world just personified on television and I was always in it for the spectacle of the WWE and that was what drew me in as a fan um, because it was so crazy and over the top and the characters and all of that stuff so I've watched a lot of AEW matches and things and I've got some friends that have worked there and I I think it's fun but um I just don't keep up with a ton of that side of the business. And then when it comes to WWE, I am immature and competitive in a way that I've almost worked for them multiple times. And anytime it hasn't like when it hasn't worked out, I then get like, well, I don't want to watch this. And like, I'm not going to watch a thing that I think I should be helping make better. Um, (laughs) Because it's, I, 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 and to be fair, within the last 15 years they could have used all the help they could get (laughs) yeah so that's i mean as far as like your question with what's some things that have made me go ah or some of the things that go oh uh i would say one of the main things that i've loved lately that i've been seeing uh clips and moments from is cody's uh run in the wwe so far yeah i think that's cool uh i love uh he that that whole uh the elite and all that stuff being the elite helped get me a little bit more into the more niche side of wrestling a few years ago. So I'm very happy for him to have found his way back to the WWE um, and is doing so well. And the stuff with his entrance is very fun. Cause like I said, I like the the show and the pageantry Um, something that I have like in my times keeping up with it uh, that I'm like, Oh, shut up. I, we mentioned CM Punk. I hate that guy now. I don't, and it's not like, and it's not like, oh, oh, it's a work. Oh, 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 boo, you boo the heel. It's like a fundamental, like, you're just a shithead. Like, you're a guy that you made your thing is like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the punk. I'm the guy on the outside flipping the bird to the upper management because it's so unfair. And it's like, buddy, you're the, he's the kid in class 
that gets horrible grades, but the teacher won't quit on because they see something in him, but he never turns it around and like gets his act together. He's always like the teacher is giving him every opportunity to not get in trouble, but he's still just being a little shithead and not paying any attention. It's like, what are you, what? It's not fun. It's not cute. You're too old for this. You're not as good as you used to be. You weren't ever that good to be fair. You just were really uh, committed to the, the thing you were doing at the time, going back to what I said about stand up um i don't know i just think he he has a uh, idea of himself in his head that isn't true and isn't uh true anymore maybe like his worth and his value and it's annoying and uh it sucks because i did re- i used to really love him and he was lovely to me me uh, him and jeff hung out that afternoon uh whenever he came to town and he was seemingly a pretty nice guy but i just think he's i, I think he's completely ruined his uh his character he's ruined his reputation and i'm sure wwe is going to welcome him back with open arms (laughs) honestly i I mean i've been hearing the rumors that apparently he's supposed to appear at survivor series in chicago Mm -hmm. and oh well yeah of course yeah um which doesn't surprise me and the thing with me and aew was i was just you know i grew up watching wwe but they just after they didn't have any competition it just kind of became very laxed and like they didn't care because they didn't have to do anything and you could tell and to me it this wasn't as fun to watch for a long time and i was seeing more fun stuff on the what would be the independent scene you know when i got into new japan and their style of wrestling was just more hard hitting and Mm -hmm. that's when i was like oh that's when i discovered bullet club and then i was like oh there's cody rhodes and then I kind of just started getting back into it slowly and finding out these other styles and different things like that. But I think that what really opened the door for me was doing that film, the documentary, The Flying Greek on Manoli Savanis in Springfield, whenever he was a guest on the Mystery Hour. I'm sitting there going, this guy was in, is in my own backyard and he has got to have so many stories, you know, because he wrestled, mm-hmm. traveled to Andre. But like with AEW, I think that... For me, what I feel like needs to happen is I don't think Tony Khan needs to have his hand in all of the creative. I'm like, you've got Dustin Rhodes. You've got Brian Danielson. Those two guys alone should, one should be running your other two shows. You know, and... To me, because I'm I, I'm looking at the talent and going, who do I? Tr- who are these people that would know what they're doing? And I trust and can work well with those guys. And um, you know, and the whole thing that happened with CM Punk and AEW is unfortunate, but I feel like there's definitely a lot more that probably obviously happened behind the scenes that we're never gonna know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all just hearsay and whatnot. And I and you know when, when I met him too when he was in came to Springfield, super nice um lovely you know but i always tell people too though i said but i've never worked with them i've never wrestled with them i mean wrestling a wrestling locker room is just a group of people with egos talent and then people who have inflated talent and they're always (laughs) stepping on and trying to do these things and so it's kind of like you're gonna get somebody who's gonna be an asshole about it but that's how they're gonna get ahead and it's what's that's what sucks about it. That's why so many people hated Hulk Hogan is because he knew how to politic. Yeah. Know? Which and that guy, I mean, he he's just become in my world, in in my head, Hulk Hogan has just become a punchline mostly. Um, because he is so he he was not ready for the world to be able to have everything he's ever said into a microphone at like at their fingertips to be able to cross reference and check because every if his lips are moving he is lying like he <laughs> lies about everything yeah. it's, it's anytime he's on like a podcast or a show and the, the host could bring up any topic and he will find a way to spin it back to himself where yeah. they'll be like Oh yeah, I don't know. I was uh, I was what at the mall it? the other day, and there was a sunglasses hut, and the guy's like, "Yeah, brother. Oh, the the guy who owns all those is a Hulkamaniac. He he asked me for advice on how to how to set them up, dude. And I don't take any any credits. I'm just a beach bum here in Clearwater, Florida. But but you know what? That's all me. That's I, I did all that. And also, my brother was killed by a biker gang in front of me. And it's like, what are you talking about, Terry? Well, well, first, well, well, first off, 
uncanny impression. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was. Just, he, I think I saw a, he was recently on a podcast where he said something. Um, it was about his match. Oh, he he, he said that his son was supposed to fill in for him at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And even I was like in the car going, "What? <laughs> right, your son that looks nothing like you that killed a person with his car? Like I don't think I'm that's like, gonna work." I was like, even I'm kind of going, I can I can smell a little bit of the BS on that one. And man, well, he he also claimed that he the night before WrestleMania three was it where it was him and Andre. Yes, yeah. The night before, he wrote out the entire match on a yellow legal pad yeah. and brought it to Andre and was like, brother, I was thinking maybe we could do something like this. And Andre was like, get out. And he's like, and dude, we, we get to the ring and, and he, he does the first thing I had written down and, and he'd memorize the whole match. And, and we did it just like I wrote it down, brother. And, and I left the ending open and I was just like, I don't know who's going to win. And at the end, he put me over. Brother. And it's like every single person that worked there during that time is like, that is absolutely not what happened. <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my uh, favorite story about Andre, though, is how much he hated Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there was one where he got thrown across the ring and uh, this may have been one of the few times Hulk was telling the truth. He said mm-hmm. that Andre, because you had the video and you see, he was, you see it, Andre grabbed Randy by the throat and literally tossed him from pole to pole yeah. and, and set on him in the corner. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> and, and you see Hulk Hogan and them kind of going like this and he goes, I'm hiding my face because I'm laughing hysterically mm-hmm. at what's going on. Yeah, and, he, and like nobody, they said they they say nobody knows why he hated on or Andre hated him so much, but I'm sure there was something there. Yeah, he seemed uh, like a very hateable guy. <laughs> what with wrestling too? Is there any wrestler gimmick that you have ever seen where you're just like, what the hell were they thinking? Oh yeah, I mean, hmm, I think it's like Stardust is a really good. Uh, example of that um and then let me think Hmm. i think what they did with um oh who what's his name oh santino morella i think he was great i think he's one of the best comedy characters ever um but they really got away from what was great about him at the beginning was that a lot of people don't remember this the whole idea of his character was that he was just a fan yes. that was sitting at the show that they that he he was like uh, some heel like pulled him like over the barricade and Santino like just like beat him yes and he that, just yeah. got invited back to and he just never left and they <laughs> kind of yeah. got away from that idea which That's true. I really loved yeah. yeah he just like stayed I didn't uh, you know I hadn't thought about that in a long time. And his yeah. move that he later had with the sock and always like, like the <laughs> yeah, it's always a mismanagement of good stuff. I think more so than coming out with just stuff that's just straight up bad because the stuff that's just straight up bad usually won't last for very long. Um, mm-hmm. But mismanaging, you know, yeah. uh, guys like EC3, I remember from back in the a few years ago, he really didn't get any sort of real. Rub, I think Ricochet has been mismanaged a lot. I will agree at one hundred percent because yeah. he should be. He should be. I know he's not as good as a person of a personality, but there are ways around that. Like there are ways he <laughs> he's a rare example of someone. Because here's the thing. Here's what I don't need in my pro wrestling. I don't need it to feel like a real sport. And I think that's ultimately where my kind of iffiness with AEW comes because it feels like they're trying to make it more like about the wrestling and and make it more legit and they they keep score and like keep track of like records and stuff and i'm like i don't need that at all i my one of my favorite for example one of my favorite matches of all time mm-hmm. was when uh Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon had a tag team match against Shawn Michaels and God <laughs> yeah that is one of the best things that they've ever done because it is so I anytime somebody is like, well, can you like describe like like it's fake, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, look, look at this. Fake is a fun word, but that's not necessarily true because you know, I they always are said, hurt. I always said it's a live action choreographed stunt show with a soap opera 
storyline. Yeah, because, you know, and it's it's like I've been in those like I've been in a WWE like official ring and it's like that is a hard floor that they are falling onto. It's oh, yeah. not like oh, a yeah. springboard. Yep. Um, so it you know, the, the 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 it's it's predetermined. It's predetermined. And when people are like asking for examples of like the wildest stuff, I'm like, there was a this the guy, the old man that is in this match with his son he is in charge of writing all of these things and ultimately coming up with what these things are going to be. And he decided that because this other man is now a religious man and he hadn't been, he, he was a stripper cowboy for a, a long time and now he loves God. His, this, this old billionaire is like, we're going to have a match in which I defeat the Christian God <laughs> And, and they did like it's 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 a beautiful explanation of Vince's ego as well in that he's like put me in the ring across from God and I oh will oh my win. gosh yes oh my I, yeah that would be probably the epitome of like it because I mean recently there were multiple sources saying that at the first TKO meeting with all the employees when he came in. He was saying that I'm Vince McMahon, damn it. And when I walk into this room, I am, you should be standing up and clapping for me. And everybody, some people are like, that doesn't sound like something he would do. I'm like, eh. yeah, no, that's, that's kind <laughs> that's of exactly, exactly what, what he we, would do. <laughs> we've come to expect from him over the years. Yeah. And oh gosh, and the, there were so many crazy things. Yeah. That, I mean, I can't even think of one. I mean, that probably is the epitome of like, yeah, that's that, that happened. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, because all the other matches I'm thinking of are like, that was just a crazy match. That's just a crazy, that's just, a, that's just one of those, I can't believe that actually happened. And I'm, th I'm sitting here thinking about it going, God, that really did happen. And then they represent God by having like a light going. Yeah, it was a big spotlight coming spot. down, <laughs> like super, like a halogen spotlight that was on a track up and it was just a beam coming down. down. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's now that could be the opposite polar end of the whole Katie Vick thing that they came up with in like the late 90s mm -hmm. with Kane and Triple H and the dead. Oh, yeah, it was just like even yeah. as even me as a kid, I was like, Yeah, that's the stuff. Um, I'm gonna go to Nitro for a moment. <laughs> yeah, they just don't really do that. And the last person that was doing that stuff was Bray Wyatt, who was passed away now and it's like the kind of the fantastical over the top stuff is yeah i it's really lost well and vince hated the fiend i think i don't think he understood the character and that's what yeah. sucks because i'm like this is the guy that could replace the undertaker's empty spot when he leaves in the yeah. creepiness factor but he's not gonna he's not gonna be the undertaker but you don't want to be but like when he came back he wasn't doing the fiend anymore but man i'll tell you what when that first time the fiend came out and he had that lantern that was his head mm -hmm. and it was a more heavy metal slow metal version of his original entrance music and i was just like that's 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 the shit that's great you know yeah, it was really cool yeah i remember but, that i because i was at wrestlemania 34 in new orleans and uh, well and that was when he came he was just in the andre the giant battle royal and he uh it was him and matt hardy won or i think matt hardy won with his help and that was when they formed that tag team uh world or something like that yeah yeah and i was like well that's not i don't think that's what you use bray wyatt for having him tag with this decrepit version of matt hardy um which the matt hardy the 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 delete stuff was very fun i thought oh, all yeah. that i thought the little web series was it made me laugh it was crazy and just the mm -hmm. type of stuff i like but um it's like if you're gonna have a hardy on a tag team it's got to be with another hardy i i, I don't want to see him with anyone else and also oh and, and i mean my favorite wrestler of all time is edge and i just i don't know i he must have he got out of his last run what he wanted to get out of it and there wasn't much more for him to do. And I think they kind of fumbled uh, the ball on the last several months of his time there, especially. I watched the the his like the farewell episode of SmackDown or whatever. And it was so like it was so WWE of them to they kept saying like it's his anniversary 
of of the, it, it, they didn't just say he's leaving. It was it was like, oh, it's a celebration of Edge twenty five years, and, and and his match with Sheamus sucked. And like, I I don't know. It's just it's not a it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, he could have definitely deserved deserved a little bit more pomp and circumstance, you know, or something a little mm-hmm. bit bigger than just a match on SmackDown. But yeah, like from what I understand, because he's an AEW now, and which I think is just hilarious, like that WWE didn't own the rights to his theme song. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I laughed whenever I heard that play, and I was like. Vince and them got to be kicking themselves, you know, because they are yeah. usually pretty protective of those things. They got the name, but they didn't, they couldn't, I guess they couldn't copyright or trademark the rated R superstar. So no, he, yeah, that was his. And, yeah. And yeah. that's just funny. I laughed about that, but you know, at the same time, like, I think that's why one of the, one of the reasons I like AEW is like, now we're going to be able to see a, some, a few like, possible matches that we never thought we'd see or some dream matches and seeing him in a different situation um yeah what he was in with wwe but you know um we'll see what happens but like i love edge too he's great but i'm hoping that after he's doing done with this run against christian you know being you know up against Mm -hmm. christian that i hope we get one last edging christian yeah, and I think we will. And it's my thing is I wish they would have because they they brought back Cena again, and I would have loved to see Edge's time in the WWE culminate in a big pay per view match with John Cena because I think Edge is Cena's greatest rival. Um, that was when I was a kid, like a little kid watching, and that was my favorite era of the company, even more so than the Attitude Era because I was a little too young for that. Um, but Cena versus Edge was just such a clear-cut superhero versus supervillain storyline in a way that Randy and Cena never was because Randy was this ambiguous sort of like he had the rub of being like a Nepo baby, weird, hot guy, whatever. But Edge is like you look at him, you look at his like – his gear and everything is like, oh, that guy's a bad dude. And then you look at Cena, it's like that's Superman. And it was just (laughs) so perfect. And also – and speaking of – you know, the opportunity to see these guys in AEW, I will say this. I like it. I like that whenever a legend gets the opportunity to go over and have more creative freedom, but also to Vince's credit, I know it's easy to shit on the guy. He, yeah. a lot of these guys need somebody to pull them back. They need no, somebody. Right. To yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. right. No, you're because right. Because when the yeah. inmates run the asylum, you get stuff like, John Moxley going way too over the top and grossing everybody out. And it's like, well, I don't even want to watch this guy anymore. Cause I don't want to see his hamstring like ripped out of his leg on the ground. Yeah. Like, like there needs to be, these guys need to be pulled back a little bit. They need guide rails. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. I get that. Well, you know, yeah. Cause there are some people where I'm kind of like, um, that, you know, that can flourish with more creativity and I've always thought that Jer- Chris Jericho has always been good with reinventing himself. And mm-hmm. even if he was working within constraints, he was always he's always been fresh, something new. That's why I've always liked Chris. Even yeah. if I didn't care for the character, I always respected the fact that he could he could just mold himself and be a little bit different. And um, I think Edge, I think will, you know, it'll be interesting to see where where he goes in AEW. But I think that, honestly, I mean, and even Triple H was stated saying that he didn't, there was no hard feelings. Yeah. You know, he was happy for him. It's just that I think with the merger and TKO, they were going to be letting people go. So I honestly think that they just let his contract run out so they didn't have to worry. They have more money after that. And that's all it came down to. Nothing personal. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, um, with him there. But, um, and speaking of comedy, um, uh, wrestlers, have you seen anything with MJ? Yeah, I, I don't want to say he's a comedic wrestler. Let me rephrase mm-hmm. that. He's so good at being bad that I think it's like a bad guy that he is hilarious to me. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen clips of him talking to the crowd and getting very candid and mean with people, which I, I think is fun. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, 
he's one of those guys that he ha- he would never have gotten any sort of rub in WWE because he doesn't have the look. Uh, I don't think he doesn't have the Vince eye test look to be able to have the opportunity to be to speak so freely with the mic. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's fun what he's doing. I think he's doing that. uh, He's doing the modern version of what I think kayfabe should be. It's and it's that he is he's staying in character and also engaging in the real world in a in an authentic way and cuz like you know back in the day undertaker and and trip like the guys who were feuding couldn't be seen at the airport together you know it, it's it's like, and that's so like oh come on but he you know the way he uses like twitter and instagram and stuff i'll see every now and then a tweet or something from him uh and uh yeah he just feels like a guy that's doing all the right things which is good for him yeah <laughs> yeah that's very true so we'll swing back here now to about with some uh, with comedy uh and i've seen this question asked on a few shows with uh, some comedians uh what do you what is your dirtiest do you have do you have a dirtiest joke oh my god well yeah <laughs> i've i've yeah i do but it's uh, <laughs> probably not going to make it on this one. It'd be one. Well, so there's a thing. Here's a little inside baseball for you. It's a, something that's been talked about a lot, actually. Um, have you ever heard of the joke um, called uh, the aristocrats? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Yes. Where it's like it's so every comic has their own version of it for the for the listeners where. It always starts and ends the same, but the middle is up to the comedian to interpret and make as long or as short as he wants. He or she, sorry. And it's uh, it always starts with a family walks into a talent agency. Uh, it's a husband, wife, uh, son, daughter, and a dog. They walk in, and the talent agent's like, oh, if I don't do family acts. Like, they never work. And the family's like, well, please, let us just show you what we do. And he goes, all right, fine. You come all this way do it. And then it's a long, however long or short you want it to be, just describing the family uh, having sex with each other, basically, and with the dog, the dogs pissing on the mother, the mo- all this stuff. And then it ends. You try to get as vulgar and as detailed and as explicit as possible. And then it ends with the talent agent going, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. What do you call yourselves? And the, they all go, we're the aristocrats. So that's probably the dirtiest joke I can think of is like my version of that, which I will not say on the airwaves. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, do you have a favorite dad joke? Um, oh boy. I I really like this is something that I got hit with a lot as a kid um, by my family because I was a very like I, I loved drinking, uh, which I still do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I loved drinking like anything, like water, milk, soda pop, anything like that. I, I was like a hound for always having a beverage. And I would say I would just say loudly, like, I'm thirsty. And then my usually it would be my grandma would go, hi, Thirsty, I'm Friday. Come over Saturday and we'll have a Sunday. <laughs> and I would get really violent. And that's why I was sent away for several years as a child. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the funniest joke, or I can say a prank that my dad pulled on my brother and I, and I think you'll appreciate this. Uh-huh. Brother and I came home from school in high school, I think. Was it high school or middle school? I can't remember. Anyway, we walked in and my mom, we had a, a an island in the kitchen and she had made sugar cookies with like pink frosting. I think there was just something left over and she just decided to make room in the cabinet and lay, made, I mean, it was just a, just a plethora of these things out on the counter. And we were getting ready to eat them and my dad came in and he got onto us and said we couldn't eat them. And we were like, what are you talking about? Why? And he said, well, they're from my, um, they have something in it for my stomach because I've been having, and which at this point he had been having some type of stomach thing going, um, he was dead serious. And so it basically came down to that they was, you know, they had a laxative in the cookies mm, and uh, or whatever is what he said. So the hours pass and my mom gets home later that evening and she walks in and, and um, my brother and I are in our rooms and we hear 
boys, why didn't you eat these cookies I made you? And so we walked out and said, well, dad told us we couldn't have them because of what? And then you can hear off on the other side of the house, my dad just dying laughing because he had been eating the cookies all afternoon. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Um, That's a good way. That's a good way to keep your kids from eating all your stuff. (laughs) It's got a laxative in it. Um, And uh, yeah, that was, that's, and the other one is the, my dad has a very unique sense of humor, but I remember how he would make me laugh if somebody was giving me like being, you know, you know, you got critics and my dad would always be like, you know, Jason, people, people's opinions are like, are like assholes. They all just do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And he goes, of all the things I taught you in life, you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main, that's the main takeaway. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing. I mean, and for the, li- for the listeners, I know you can't see Jason just made his mouth yeah. as big and small as possible doing sort of a <laughs> sucking motion. And now I'm just sitting here thinking of his father kind of telling that to him in a room by themselves. And I'm like, what the hell was going on? Yay. No, that's true. That is true. Everybody's got an asshole. Yeah, I, <laughs> Uh, yeah, my dad, it, it's less humor, more, uh, let's overthrow the government and everybody's a lizard. So we won't talk about, <laughs> oh, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, maybe we'll just touch the surface, uh, in today's atmosphere. How are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on political jokes? <laughs> oh, for me. Oh, that's very fun. Uh, I I've been telling people, uh, jokingly that i'm an rfk democrat um that's i've been going around being like i just think he's got some good ideas i think that i love the way he speaks when i'm gonna take black rock and and then the people that run it and i'm gonna walk them out and i'm just gonna be a firing squad my uncle was killed by the cia and uh, I just think that a guy like that is the perfect uh, the perfect little prince we need right now. I don't really my <laughs> thoughts on po- political humor and jokes and stuff like that is it's like it just doesn't it doesn't really interest me a ton because politics have just become this sensationalized like it's yeah. a it's a sport. And I think just about the like lamest part of a person is what their political views are. Um, and I think if you own merch for a politician, you're a loser, uh, whether it be a person I agree with or a person I don't agree with. It's like, what are you doing? These politi- politicians used to be little nerds that loved reading policy and copy and stuff like that. And they used to sit quietly in their little offices. They would have to roll themselves out once every couple years to get reelected. And they would just do little debates with other little nerds. And then they would go back to being quiet. And now my my God, you got the, on the Democrat side, we've got all these people that are like they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs about everything, which those are my people. I'm on that side of things, but they're screaming at the top of their lungs about things that are mostly inconsequential for the most part. Some of them very consequential. I don't really get into the weeds of it. It's none of my business. And then you've got on the Republican side, the, these demons from hell that are acting like community theater actors. Oh. They're like community theater level actors. You've got your Marjorie Taylor Greens rolling herself. Oh that woman gives me heartburn. Yeah, she comes out and she the way they speak is not a way that normal that's like, and what we are accomplishing here today. It's like you are doing a soliloquy in a play that your coworkers are watching you in. <laughs> this is stupid. Just everybody be quiet and go back to bed. Or you know, or they're um, you know, trying to tell people how to live their lives and how they should dress, and then you get caught on video groping in a theater in Vegas. Oh yeah, she Laura was Boberton that guy. Um, she was trying to juice his beetle. It was uh, <laughs> it was a wonderful time. Yeah, that uh, was like, my favorite part was is that um her her defense. Did you hear what her defense was of that? Yeah, she was like I guess I need to do more research on on the person I go on dates with. Like it, the problem with that whole thing was that he was democrat. That that, that yes. was the issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also it's hilarious that that was a first date. It's a it, like that 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 yeah. that to me, which that woman is also just she's a hillbilly. She's a dumb hick from the sticks that we would like 
she Tim Dillon had a great rant on her. It's just like all her entire life was just fighting in the front lawn with her husband who was trying to kill her with his car. And she owned a bar and it was just constant. Like their whole all their house ever was was just her locking herself in the bathroom and the husband going, open this fucking door. And then <laughs> the children screaming in the other room. And now she is she's a, an elected representative for the state of Colorado. And 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 God bless her. And I wish her well. And I wish everybody well at the end of the day. I think I think that's ultimately I love love. Um, and I, I think that we all just need to come together. And uh, there's a real problem with this Coney 2012. And I'd like people to look into it. <laughs> but oh, my God, like some of the stuff that they say, it's like I feel like they've had like. Like, I'm like, there's no way that a staffer wrote that. That sounds like something that a rejected comedian or rejected screenwriter would write. You know, like, my ideas are great, and I'm going to write this out, and my stuff's funny, whether you think it is or not. And, you know, the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene has a music video? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. like, Like, I like Bernie Sanders, but... I don't need to see Bernie Sanders in a rap video, although it'd be funny. But yeah. at the same time, I'm like going, you wasted how much time doing that video? And you could have tried to be doing something productive. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's, it's all, it's all, everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants their, wants their clicks. Everybody wants to get out of office and have a Patreon or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a mess and I don't care for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, um, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, uh, King King Trump and all of his. Uh, I, I've lost track of all the indictments and how much trouble he's in and all that. But um, many the the jokes seem to write themselves. But at this point, I think a lot of comedians are like, I, I can keep making fun of him, but it's not. It's it's getting sad now. <laughs> Yeah, it's point. It's past the point of no return, really. It's not interesting anymore. It's like it's just gotten to the point where he's he's circled back around to being like. If you watch the clips from his latest rallies, they are funny. Like he is, he he does like the way he says things is like a. It's funny to listen to. I would love for him to continue to speak publicly, but just never hold office again. I think that's ultimately what we need in life. Because maybe, maybe he should just be a stand up comedian and just run. And that's honestly, he's, he's like, he's, he's just like a big blustering. And he'll say, he says that he was like, like he commented on Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift's relationship. Like he was, he had some rally. He was like, I don't think that Taylor should be with him. And it's like, what are you talking? Why are you doing topical? Like, like Travis Kelsey needs to focus on football. That's ultimately he's a football player. Catch the ball, Travis. And it's I just I fucking I I'm done I I I don't I don't need it I don't need it in my life. My favorite thing is how each president has their own little mannerism, mm-hmm. and his I call it he gives the air titty twisters because he's always like doing something with his mm-hmm. hand. Like, oh, yeah. we gotta do this, and I'm just waiting for him to just be like, <laughs> yeah, and, cutting around, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's it's a moot point for me at this point. At this point, yeah, yeah. But by the way, that was a very nice impression. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, we I, got a lot of Democrats. <laughs> um, there's a guy, I'll have to send you a video after this. But there was a guy, um, some game show where he was told to um, do, be Sauron from Lord of the Rings, but do it as Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And he went on, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, oh my God, he went on for like two minutes and it was the most <laughs> perfect donald trump impression because of how he just jolts us around and like finds stupid like how he jumps from topic to topic yeah somehow that, that are unrelated it's it, it, it's weird but that's it uh, it was i was laughing pretty hard about that because i was blown away by that but um anyway um man we really run the gambit i don't know uh <laughs> I didn't usually I write down questions for all my podcasts, but I said, you know what? I'm just I'm, I'm just gonna wing it today. Yeah, yeah. Go. This dumb it. clown will come up with some content for me. <laughs> I don't need to do any work ahead of time. <laughs> now, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I did say, hey, well, you know, we'll talk about comedy and we'll talk about some wrestling and whatever. I did give yeah, at least man, man. that. 
You're right. You're right. You're right. I did give a little bit of that. Um, so uh, before we go, tell people where they can find you. Do you have any upcoming um, shows that, that you'd like them to know about or a project? Yeah. When is this out? When does this when will this come out? It'll be next week. Um, okay. Well, if you came to my show in Kansas City this weekend, uh, Saturday the fourteenth, uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you for coming. Um, other than that, not it's just a lot of stuff in the LA area. Um, follow me on Instagram. Follow me everywhere at Chance Is Loud is the handle on all forms of social media. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just search Chance Is Loud. You'll find me there. Um, and uh, yeah, don't add me on Facebook. I don't I don't like that. I don't like it when people I've never met add me on Facebook. That's a new boundary I'm setting. So stay away, stay away <laughs> and follow me other places. Listen to the podcast. We didn't peak. Uh, find it anywhere. And yeah, that's about it. Right on, man. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat and catch up. And um, I'll try to catch you in every one of your shows. Since now I'm actually closer to Kansas City now than I was before. Um, nice and come catch one of your shows cool cool yeah and then i always i always do a sh big show at the blue room in springfield uh around christmas time usually like the 22nd or the 23rd so if you're All listening right. to this and you're a springfield person come out and watch that excellent well chance thanks and uh you know continue the, the journey and making us laugh and i'll catch you down the road will do thank you everybody and thank you for listening to Void of Transmissions. But before you go, give us a like or a subscribe and give us a review. It helps us out on any platform we're on. It helps get the stories out there that uh, my guests are telling. And thank you. And it is greatly appreciated. Until next time, guys.